Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Well, good morning. The title of today's message is, that's how Willie does it, right? So that must be the way to do it. I was going to say the title of today's message is, no, I better not say it. <laughs> Actually, it's, uh, I, I have a piece of paper here with it on it. From the river, hey, it's right up there. From the river to the ends of the earth, something greater. And special thanks to Ivy for helping me with all this uh, screen stuff. <clears throat> the tech side. I have some glasses here somewhere. All right. Uh, now, just for in case, in case any of this would be like review or it seems like basics, I was going to tell a little anecdote from uh, uh, Bill. You know who Bill Walton is? No, nah, most young people don't know. Anyway, Bill Walton was one of the greatest basket, pro basketball players ever. Real tall and he had a lot of health problems and he played several different teams, but uh, he was a tremendous basketball player and a real character. But he tells in his book uh, about <laughs> when, he, when he first went to, I think it was UCLA. I don't know if anybody can verify that. And the coach there, in, in that era, the coach, was it Wooden, John Wooden, was a very successful coach. I mean, they were winning national championships left and right, and, and uh, great coach and highly respected. But they, they first get there to the first, like, you know, whatever it was, team meeting or practice or something, and the first thing the, the coach is telling to these New players, uh, college basketball players, you know, I'll be there basically on scholarship because they were so good in high school and, and uh, like all state, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he, Coach Wooden says, uh, all right, he takes off his shoes. He says, I'm going to show you how to put on your socks so you don't get blisters. And, the, you know, Bill Walton says, we're sitting there like, hey, we're all-state basketball stars. <laughs> I mean, we've won everything. We know how to put our socks on. But uh, that's what that coach did. He's a successful coach. He knew what the basics were. You know, sometimes you've got to have the basics. And if you get a blister on your foot, you might have to sit down, you know. So... Uh, that's just a little illustration of uh, the importance of basics and and you know and having the right attitude. You know, not sit there and think I'm a, I'm a big hot shot. I know all this stuff and so forth. And uh, there's a uh, I'm not sure if I have to follow the unwritten rule here, but I think if you're over six feet tall, you have to quote C.S. Lewis. 
in this church. You what now? It's correct. That's a that's an unwritten rule. So he wrote a book uh, called The Four Loves. Anybody ever heard that? The Four Loves. It's a really good covers uh, you know like agape and phileo and storge. These are all Greek words for love, different types of love. And um, what's the other one? Eros. Let's don't talk about eros. We're in church. Um, but, uh, you know, that phileo is an important one. It's just like a friendship kind of love. You know, it's, not, it's a little bit different from agape, which, which is that unselfish God kind of love. And uh, so you remember in the Bible when uh, after Jesus rose and he, they saw him on the shore and he had fish there and uh, they caught some fish and da 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 so and he asked Peter three times Peter do you love me and uh, they the, the greek scholars would tell us that uh, i forget it's one or one time or more out of those three times he used the word phileo right you love, so this is where this is apparently where um, McDonald's got their idea of phileo fish. Very biblical food chain, right? Bear with me. I've got a dry mouth today. So, okay, we got C.S. Lewis out of the way. Now we want to look at Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Yeah, it's up there. <clears throat> and maybe not even all of those words. 22. It's in there somewhere. Anyway, never mind 35, but the, the guy was asking him, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, what that does, that sets a priority and a sequence. There's one, and there's two. It's basic. Socks, shoes. Now, loving the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm going to quote somebody. I don't know if some people may have heard of Mike Bickle, but I uh, heard him say one time, at, at least once, he, uh, he's the head of House of Prayer in uh, Kansas City, 24-hour a day, every day, all year long, prayer, intercession, worship. He says, it takes God to love God. You think about that. Sometimes we're struggling. Oh, how do I, I don't feel like I love God today, but 
It takes, you know, the God, I mean, you think of God in heaven, God in us. It takes God to love God. So, uh, and I found a little note in this uh, Bible. This, so this is not scripture, this is somebody's note. It says, not only are we helpless to save ourselves, we do not even have the desire to take hold of God in faith unless He somehow gives us this ability. And it says, see Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which is about, you know, by grace you are saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So it's all God, you know. It takes God to love God and, and fulfill that uh, great commandment, the first one. And then the second one is love like everybody else. All right, so along with that, I want to go to Psalm 72, verse 8. And I thought about uh, just reading over the whole psalm, but let's go to verse 8 first, and then we'll go to, we'll also go to sort of a parallel verse is. Zechariah, the prophet, 9, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. So if you want to look up there, be ready. But uh, Psalm 72, verse 8, it says, uh, this Bible says, um, a psalm of Solomon, and it it says it refers to the reign of the Messiah. That that may be an interpretation, but anyway, the verse says, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And this is the key thing to me right here. And, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And it's pretty much similar in Zechariah chapter 9. Uh... Chapter 9, I hope I have it right here. Oh, yeah. 9 is just kind of set up so you know for sure, or more surely, who it's talking about. 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So who did that? Jesus did that. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Okay, first we have to talk about the literal geographic Level. In if they were talking about Solomon in Psalm 72, and also spiritually refers to the Messiah. In Solomon's time, he would have had the dominion. The river would have been the anybody know? Euphrates, which interestingly enough means the root word, uh, root meaning of the name. 
they say uh, it means fruitfulness from an unused root meaning to break forth. That's from the Blue Letter Bible. It's really, if you ever want to go online and look up Bible stuff, the Blue Letter Bible is handy. They can give you all the Strong's concordance numbers and all that stuff. Different, any version you can want, probably. Okay, so, it's the Euphrates. Euphrates is a river in the Middle East. It's, I think, it may be, it starts way up in the mountains in Turkey somewhere or Armenia or someplace like that, and it goes down, and it's a very important river and uh, goes in uh, what we now call Iraq, maybe some of Syria, I'm not sure, but, uh, and so forth. So, very important river and in the Middle East, you know, having to do with neighboring Israel and all that. But, I'm, one day, I forget where and when, but I was looking at that and I said, from the river, from the river, to the ends of the earth. And uh, you remember that song? The river of God sets our feet to dancing. The river of God fills our hearts with cheer. The river of God, mm, mouth with laughter. Mm, rejoice for the river is here. Teeming with life, all who touch it will be revived. Remember that one, anybody? I guess it was a vineyard song. It was back in the... Uh, 90s maybe? Well, the river of God is talking about the flow of the Spirit, the, 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 the worship, the atmosphere of worship, the power, the presence of God, and all that good stuff. And to me, I, I just hit me one day like, oh, that is where you start. And see, what was the first commandment? Love God, like how you love God. Some of what some of what you do to love God is worship Him. You know, just say, I love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. I worship you. And you just go for it, and you just get caught up in it. And it's a flow. It's a river. And uh, and the idea, you know, this river of God thing. Let's look at uh, Ezekiel forty-seven. Remember that where you saw a river. Where was it coming from? It wasn't the Euphrates. This is a vision he had. The prophet Ezekiel had a vision of a river. And uh, talking, somebody was, the angel was leading him around or something. He says, Ezekiel 47, 1, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. Uh, so forth. And uh, end of verse 3, the water came up to my ankles, a thousand cubits or something, up to my knees, up to my waist, in verse 4. And verse 5, a river I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. So it's like it's getting increasingly, see that river of God, that flow of the Spirit? 
that worship and praise His presence, His power, it gets deeper and wider. Deeper and you're going out further and further. As we go, as we get into it and as it flows, as He flows. And, uh, and see, where is it flowing out from? Verse 1? The temple. The temple is connected with the presence of worship and the presence of God. So, this is where it all comes from the presence of God. Worship. Starting point. And that's, that's our, our, not only our starting point, that's our empowerment for all the rest of it, like the ends of the earth, right? Wherever that might lead us. Excuse me. And uh, later on, in, down in uh, Ezekiel here, talks about uh, verse 9. Well, actually 7. It talks about uh, there were very many trees on one side and the other. And verse 8, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Now, there's other places in the Bible talk about, for example, the sound of many waters. And water, this sea is waters, many waters. It's, uh, there's a level of that where it's actually talking about peoples, nations, and things. Many, many waters. And uh, so when this river flows and reaches the sea, you see, peoples, people, peoples, they're healed. And verse 9, every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. Great multitude of fish. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. They will be healed. Everything will live wherever the river goes. And then uh, just uh, verse 12, all kinds of trees along the banks. Leaves will not wither. Fruit will not fail. So this is a life-giving river, right? Fruitful. Remember how Euphrates even meant fruitfulness. And uh, bear fruit every month because the water flows from the sanctuary. The presence. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for medicine. And in the book of Revelation, toward the end of it, 22, 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
So that's very similar to Ezekiel's vision, isn't it? And it's all talking about this river flowing out. And so, what did they mean by the ends of the earth? It was like, you know, even I found it, looking up this stuff about ends of the earth, I actually found where, um, who was it? I think it's talking about Abraham. I took you from the ends of the earth. Well, you wouldn't, no, that's not so, to us, that's not so far from Israel, where Israel is, you know, over where, uh, I think that nowadays it would be Iraq, where, where Abraham was from. But, Anyway, it's someplace else. It's far. <laughs> it's like to them that was far. You know, they're walking or riding a camel or something. It's not like now. And no internet. So, ends of the earth is really, it's most of the time it's talking about places very far away, like all the nations and and like as far as you could go. And uh, I wanted to mention two places that I've been or th- that I've been thing organizations or s- situations that I've been in involved with that where I saw this thing that's from the river to the ends of the earth like this thing where I could relate to relate to what was going on. And one of them was a place uh, it's a, it used to be a missions training school in South Carolina. It was called Faith Training Center. And it, uh, at the time, the season that I was there um, getting trained and, you know, and staying on and it was tremendous uh, times of worship and just presence of God and just extended periods of, uh, you know, in church services and everything, prayer times, just extended times of just, uh, you know, flow of the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, everybody together. And, uh, and then it was, a, it, was a, it was all about uh, missions, missions training centers. So it, all the time people coming through from different countries, Australia, New Zealand, Spain, uh, a lot of places. And uh, so see, this is where it was working together. This is worship emphasis and getting the presence and the power and everything. And then the, the going out, you know, going to the ends of the earth. And the other one was uh, we were in youth with a mission for two and a half years in Japan. Very similar the great emphasis on worship times and uh, prayer and also obviously mission is right in the name so we're, we're going out to the nations and uh, I remember just on the way over there uh, we had to stop in Hawaii you know rough duty but actually I, it was so hot and humid I did not really enjoy Hawaii that much. Plus, tired from traveling. But, you know, if you like it, go there. Uh, and, and we were, we had, uh, the th- reason we had to stop there is to get a visa or something like that. And so, um, 
there's a bay, we're staying with these uh, YWAMers, this YWAM base in Honolulu area. And uh, they were having an outreach night. Well, what did they do first? They got together and worshipped. They had praise music and guitars and singing, and they just really got into it. And then they went out, say teams, like go to the shopping center or the whatever, you know. And so this is you see that connection. And uh, great commandment in the second one. So this is where, uh, and also, you know, in Japan, we, there's tremendous, we would always have worship times every week, you know, together, all the YWAMers, and, and, and then do what uh, we did for various outreaches, uh, which, um, I'm going to talk about that in a second. And also, in my title, I had uh, at the end of the title it said something greater, and and I think I missed a verse back there. You know, um, Matthew twelve forty two. If you want to look at it, I'm not going to go to it. But uh, basically, the idea is Jesus said they were talking about. He said well, uh, in Solomon's time, the uh, Queen of Sheba. Or the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear him, his wisdom. Jesus says, and now a greater than Solomon is here. And boy, I read that one time too, and that hit me like, oh, because I had been I'm looking at um, Solomon, when his coronation. You know, he also rode on a donkey. It's a David, David's, uh, you know, you have to do things that kind of like... Uh, affirm your legitimacy and stuff. So he rode on David's donkey and, uh, and, get, and for the coronation, anointing and all that. And it's talking about in that passage about how uh, the people shouted so loud and rejoiced that the, earth, the ground shook. And um, they could hear it far away. And now a greater than How much more should we be shouting? So that's a, that's a greater that's part of the greater greater than a greater one is here and he's in us so we are part of something greater but also th- this thing about being in these worship organizations you often had that sense of being part of something greater you know like. For example, in the in the youth with a mission, uh, maybe I didn't say that before. YWAM, Y W A M, youth with a mission, and that organization at the time, this was back uh, before the internet, again, and uh, they had these rectangular black boxes, and you put it in a machine, and you could see see a video. Um, it was amazing, but uh, they would send around like a once a month or something like that uh, videos of highlights of different things going on, maybe South Pacific somewhere or uh, somewhere in Asia, Europe, 
and you'd see what these other people at this other place were doing and get encouraged, you know, and say, oh, that's great. We're all in this bigger thing. It's not just me, my little daily grind that I do and, and uh, my neighborhood. There's, there's more. <coughs> so, and in that time in Japan, we were in something that was, they started, a, they have all kinds of schools. I don't know if you ever, if you look into Youth with a Mission, everything is, is a school for this and a school for that. School of evangelism, school of worship, school of, we were in one they had just started, first time, School of Frontier Missions. And Japan could be considered in that because it was so unreached. So you go there, it's like a frontier. You just, <coughs> you're out there with a machete slashing through the undergrowth, you know, figuratively, not literally. Very civilized place, you know, nice. Uh, it's not backwards like some of these other places, it's, but it's dark. There's a lot of darkness there, you know. Not much uh, percentage of, of Christians, of believers. So, I, while we were there, one of the little, this is a little thing we learned in one of the courses, or a, the main course. There was a course there, which I think still exists. It had probably been revised and updated over the years. Uh, because this, I'm talking about what, back in the 80s, mid-80s. But it was, it, the, if you want to look it up, uh, I didn't put it on the screen or anything, but it's called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And uh, they are full of things by respected mission scholars and veteran missionaries and all kinds of things and good, great teaching. It was a big, thick book. We didn't have to read the whole book. You know how you get in one of these courses and you got to buy this big, thick book and then you read two or three chapters out of it over the semester? Sort of like that. But uh, <coughs> publishers have to live, you know. But one of the things in there was a little handy points of reference uh, which you might get a scripture for which is Acts 1.8. That might be familiar. Somebody might be able to just quote it. Acts 1.8. Oh yeah. What do you say? Jesus speaking. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea. And all Judea. Very, I left out all. A very important word. In all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's that end of the earth again. So, Alright. And what, what these... Um, missions scholars, experts have come up with with just a little handy categories that are related to that. And it's the E. E is evangelism. Big E. And then you got, you got E0, E1, E2, and E3. 
just those headings. Now, E0, each one of the numbers has to do with crossing a barrier or a boundary of some kind. And so E0 would be you don't have to cross any boundaries, cultural boundaries or even like religious boundaries. But who, wait a minute, who needs to be evangelized if they already have your religion? Well, kids, for example, right? Or people that come to church that think they're saved and maybe you're not saved. So they they use the term the stained glass barrier because, you know, historically, traditionally, a lot of churches had stained glass windows. So you you don't even have to cross the stained glass barrier for that E-zero evangelism. We have to tell the good news to everybody, like even if they're in church. Little kids, somebody's got to tell them. So that's crossing no barriers, cultural and so forth. And then E-1 would be you've got to cross the stained glass barrier. You've got to go outside the church and reach somebody in your, basically your same culture. Uh, speak the same language, you know. You're not, it's nothing all that strange. That, that's the only barrier is that you're in the church, they're not in the church. And we want to evangelize them. And then the E2 well, what's, wait a minute, that's one. What about E2? Well, E2, you've got to cross the stained glass barrier, get out of the church, and you've got to not go to somebody in your same culture, but somebody in a different culture. And, but it might not be uh, radically different. Like, let's say we went to, oh, a good example, Mexico. Okay, it's a different culture, it's a different language, but you, you, there's, it's not like, um, it's still an Indo-European language, you know what those are, like, you know, and in fact it's a Romance language, you know, it's based on Latin, it's not like Romance, oh, it's like uh, from Rome, you know, it's Latin-based language, uh, things like Spanish, French, Italian, Romanian, uh, Portuguese. So you can go to like Brazil, Mexico, uh, and uh, you're crossing a language barrier, a cultural barrier, and the stained glass barrier, mostly. And uh, although you could minister in churches there, but uh, we're talking about evangelism, outreach. And uh, it's a different culture, but it's, it's not like so extremely different. Now, so E3 is going to be beyond those. And you're going to go to cross a stained glass barrier, cross a cultural barrier. And, it, and this barrier, this culture that you're going to deal with is going to be one that's extremely different. Language-wise, especially. Like Japan. Now, we kind of qualified in that because Japanese is so nothing like Spanish, French, you know, the usual things like you might learn in school. Nothing like those. It's a whole different thing. And it's, a, and it's like Asia. And it's like uh, way far away. <laughs> and everything's different. Like, uh, 
uh, or in the, even more so, you know, you ever heard like about missionaries that go to places like Papua New Guinea, where there was like hundreds of different languages? I mean, literally, different tribal languages, not just the dialect of uh, pidgin English or something, but just actual different languages. And they, people like, you know, the Wycliffe Bible translators and all kinds of people like that, they go into these places and try to reach these unreached groups. And those are like the E3. So, so they kind of match up to that verse in Acts 1-8. Where, you know, you could... You, a lot of times you hear it taught as, well, this is like uh, your, your own city and then maybe your own county or state and then your own nation and the end of the earth. But there's, there's E, if you can remember these E's, mm. E0123, it might be more helpful. Now, now, out of all those four things, what do you suppose is the greatest need? The greatest need is E3 evangelism because it's it's the most challenging. I mean, it's you know radically different culture and uh, maybe far far away. Now there is something you know now that we do have things like the internet, there is some ways of communicating with people where you uh, can do it from your um, your location where you are. You don't. Always, I mean, it's not, except, I mean, think about those people in, way out in the jungles in New Guinea or the Amazon basin. I mean, they're probably not, you know, streaming Netflix too much um, yet. But some of them are. You give your cell phone, like, I mean, it's ridiculous where you see these cell phones. But, uh, you know, those type of situations are... A great challenge. And there's not going to be as many people that are willing to do it. So, <clears throat> that'll, I think that will always be the greatest challenge. Unless uh, something radically changes. And, uh, also I had on there, for for a given individual, even though that like that we can present the, what what is the greatest need for a given individual, the need does not constitute the call. We've been taught, you know, it's like oh, you, somebody can say we need missionaries. We need, well, if you're not called to be a missionary, you you know, you would be just. Going on the basis of some kind of appeal, emotional appeal perhaps, or statistic. You know, I don't have the statistics, but we used to give us how many, how many unreached people groups there are in the world and uh, all that. You know, you can be persuaded with statistics and so forth. So, one thing we should do is to pray. You can go, you can... Give, send. You know, how shall they hear without a preacher? How should they preach without being sent? And we can pray. And I got a handout somewhere, and I put them on the table in the lobby. A little piece of half a piece of paper, 
for these uh, things to pray for. And then the ma- one I'm going to expand on is about praying for laborers. And I don't know if we have... Yeah. Three things the Bible expressly says to pray for. There's plenty of things. You know, it doesn't have to be in the Bible for you to pray for it. It doesn't, doesn't say you're... Your, your uncle sprained his ankle. It's not in the Bible. You know, you could still pray for him. But the specific things it says, is, one is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's in Psalm 122, verse 6, but we don't have to look it up. Uh, they shall prosper that love thee. And that's, I have a note here about shalom. That word peace in our English Bible is a Hebrew word shalom, which includes peace. Peace, but it includes more. Completeness, soundness, welfare. According to the Strong's Concordance number H7965. If you want to look it up. Like on Blue Letter Bible online. Shalom. So pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Very Somehow, a particular city very important to God. Seems to be a focal point of his whole agenda. Number two is, uh, I exhort therefore the first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. First Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. So we pray for leaders, uh, political leaders, and even other kinds of leaders. You know, maybe your boss or principal of your school or <clears throat> leaders, church leaders. And number three is about laborers. Jesus said, therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And some of us tell us that that send forth or thrust forth it might say, is a is a very strong word. Like thrust them forth. And uh, <clears throat> I have bro- broken that down a little bit on ways to pray for laborers, missionaries, and and I I have just some little bullet points here. You ask God to ask God to do these following things: to call and choose them. I got scriptures for all this if you want. It's on, I got on the paper. Ask God to call and choose them. You know, not, if you're not called, you know, and then like many are called, few are chosen. So good to be called, but let's be chosen as well. And ask God to rightly motivate them. You know, I remember we went to a meeting one time. A young guy talked about he was going out in uh, Turkey to do this missions work in Turkey, and he said. He said, you know, I was going to be the next Heidi Baker. And I don't know if you know who Heidi Baker is. Just Google her name. Uh, she's a wonderful missionary in uh, Mozambique. But he was, see, he, this is like, he, he got there and kind of, you know, you hit the wall. You come up against reality and what it's really like in some of these dark places. And, and uh so you got to be rightly motivated. You don't want to just go out, you know, I'm going to become a, it's going to be this adventure and I'm going to be, you know, all that. Because it's hard work. 
And they ask God to baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire. I have I changed it to Holy Spirit on the paper if anybody's less uh, comfortable with Holy Ghost. And ask God to uh, train and equip them. You know, you got to be trained, you got to be equipped. And ask God to strategically deploy them. You know, you got to be sent to the right place, the right time. God's got strategies. And we need to just tap into those. And ask God to abundantly finance them. It takes money to get there and to stay there and so forth. Ask God to uh, encourage them daily. We used to hear, back in the missionary training school, we used, we used to hear, uh, we had a, they would have a, for years, it went on for probably like decades. Monday night was missionary prayer night. And pray for all, whatever missionaries they knew of because they would keep in touch with uh, letters. There was no internet. And uh, letters get letters from missionaries stating their needs and what to pray for. And every Monday night, and, uh, and then we used to hear that one of the, if not the top, one of the top uh, strategies of the enemy is discouragement against missionaries, uh, probably pastors, and those type of people too as well. So to ask God to encourage them daily. Ask God to provide proper prayer and accountability coverings. Very important. You want to be rightly related, answerable to somebody, and, and then they can pray over you and uh, all that kind of stuff. And give them, I put in there, give them favor wherever they go. Because if you have favor... You know, you you uh, you might be like going into a country, getting in the airport, in the line with a customs and immigration and all that, and they might be checking everybody, and all of a sudden they they might just somebody wants to go on lunch, and they might just let you go through. You know, <laughs> things like that happen. Uh, so favor is good. Uh, I remember we were flying back from Japan and uh, some reason they put us in uh, a better, I don't know if it was first class, but it was like business class. We had favor. We were better than the tourist class, which was handy with a very young child at the time. <laughs> so, you know, and somebody had told me when they travel, just in case of things like that, they would, when they fly, he would like wear a suit and tie or a jacket and tie and stuff. So you look more like somebody they would want to put in business class. <laughs> and uh, it worked that time. So those are some uh, prayer points. And I, and I wanted to tell about an experience praying for uh, missionaries and those types of people. And I used to pray for this group called Betel. I think we're going to have some uh, things on the screen, hopefully. B-E-T-E-L, which is, they started out in Spain, so it's, it's the Spanish way of saying Bethel. We would say Bethel or Bethel. House, it means house of God, I think, in Hebrew. But it's Betel, and uh, we know the man that started it. And he also went to this same uh, missions training school that we went to. And it's a ministry which has grown 
uh, like since I think they started in the 80s, maybe, or began to get organized in the 80s in Spain, and it's gone all international. So they had an England, uh, I don't even know where all. They got something in India. Um, all kinds of places. Russia, they did have anyway. They, they're kind of taking a hit. Some of these places take a hit in this COVID crisis, you know, because you get restrictions and you can't do this and that. And then the crazy thing in Spain, there's probably in other European countries, and uh, they, they wouldn't like telling them they can't. They got their vehicles and their heating systems in their buildings are like not meeting the green agenda. So is this huge money, you know, you had to change over and all this. So there's a lot of challenges in there. But this is a mission, um, ministry that uh, they kind of go to the down and out people, drug addicts, alcoholics. And of course, with those type of lifestyles, uh, is crime, you know. There's pe- and the, uh, I don't know how much it's still going on, but it used to, you know, people would, using needles for drugs. Some of them would have AIDS and hepatitis and this, that, and the other. But that's who these people went to. They, they, I think I remember um, the founder of it talking about how when they first went, you know, they tried kind of like door-to-door in nice neighborhoods. And this is like they got nowhere. And they said, okay. <laughs> kind of like Paul, you know, he goes to the Jews and they, they don't want it. He says, I'm not going to the Gentiles. So these these went to the down and outers, and tremendous success, expansion, and all you know, international. And uh, and I used to pray, I pray some of this stuff about missions, uh, laborers, and everything. And they're one of them that I pray for. We know other people, and uh, regularly. And I would pray out of this. Uh, there's a Psalm 113.7, it says, He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heaps that he may seat them with princes, with the princes of his people. And I would pray that God, I just pray that you would lift the needy out of the ash heaps and seat them with princes. Well, lo and behold, a few years ago, this is the annual, this thing I'm holding is annual report from 2017 and 2018. And uh, we, I think we have some, uh, well, okay, let's read that. On Tuesday, January 16th, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Prince William and Kate, visited Bethel UK's Rising Cafe. It, I think they've moved, but at that time it was located in Coventry Cathedral. Prince William and Kate conversed with Bethel leaders and residents. Now, residents, this would be the people that used to be on drugs and everything. We were like just... Their lives were miserable, horrible. <clears throat> Hearing the men and women's stories for 25 minutes, Prince William twice expressed his desire to return to be with Bethel in Birmingham upon the opening of something new building. The royal visit went perfectly. These are English people writing this, you know. <laughs> with the stunning cafe decorations and beautifully set tables, fit for nothing less than a royal reception, the artful handmade baked goods on display looked to be the finest money could buy. Da, 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 the team did an outstanding job. The experience was brief. A brief, thrilling brush with earthly glory. You know, like royal family. <laughs> earthly glory. 
that still has Betel UK pondering and cherishing the honor. So here I was, you know, for maybe like years praying, lift the needy from the from the ash heaps and seat them with princes. I mean, how much more of a literal answer can you get? I mean, the prince. That's his wife. She's a duchess. I mean, that that blew my mind. When I got this, we got this in the mail or something, and I mean, that's, God. whoa. So, you know, if you if you want that little piece of paper or you have your own way to pray and you're already doing this, bless you. Um, but uh, that's just a testimony, I mean, of, you know, and these are laborers, you know, these are people in, not, not all of these, this is particularly in England, you know, so we could go there and communicate. What's a lorry? What's petrol? What's a loo? What's a dustbin? Um, we could we could communicate with them. Don't have to cross too many barriers. But you know there may be it's still within that uh, Betel organization. There's still a lot of different nationalities working in different uh, locations, and uh, even some of the as they call them residents. You know could be from different countries, not just because they're in England. They might not just be British, so to speak. So that's my uh, speech topic. Any questions? All right, well, let's pray. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are, You are Lord of all the nations. And we thank you for what you're doing in the earth, God. You're still moving among the nations. You're still reaching people in the church, out of the church, in our own culture, neighboring cultures, distant cultures. You're moving. You're moving and you answer prayer. You answer prayer in an astounding way sometimes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I just, whatever you want to use from any of this, uh, what I've shared today, Lord, just uh, let it be like seed sown and you water it and bring forth the fruit that will bring glory to your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.